Hello, and welcome to Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who have already been there and what they did in your shoes. Ricky, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So for those who don't know you, who are you? What do you do? And how did you get started in real estate investing? Who am I? That's a deep existential question. My name is Ricky Sommerfeld. I live here in Edmonton. I've been investing locally in Edmonton since 2018 now. And I'm not sure exactly what got me started. Probably the same, same thing everybody says. I'm sure somewhere along the way, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad or something along those lines. And, you know, that light went off and I think there was a bit of a incubation period too, probably about a year, year and a half that I was just sitting on the sidelines. So 2018 was when I actually did my first deal and actually got started in it. Okay. What, what kind of deal was your first one? So my first one was a little bit interesting. It, it worked out really well for me in hindsight, but what it was is me and a, a joint venture partner purchased a show home lease back, they called it. So what this was, it was a, an investor-focused realtor brokerage here in Edmonton. They were kind of packaging these deals up for investors. I'm assuming they had the relationship built with the builder where the builder would sell the, the house to an investor. It was an operating show home. So immediately upon closing, we then signed a lease with them to lease it back to them so they could continue to operate it as a show home. So that one worked out really well for us. As someone who was a newer investor, I thought, you know, this would be a, a bit of an easier entry point into real estate. You don't really have any tenants. There's nobody living in the house. Maintenance, obviously, they were taking care of all that. So yeah, that was the first deal and still still own that one. I have tenant buyers in there right now doing a, a rent-to-own exit. And if all goes well, that should be wrapping up kind of next spring. Interesting. For those of the listeners who don't know, what is rent to own? Yeah. So rent to own is essentially, it's a bit of a blend between straight up selling a house and renting it out. So what you're doing with the rent to own strategy is you're, you're finding someone who would like to own a house. You know, they would like to potentially buy your house, but for one reason or another, they're, they're not exactly able to make that happen at that time. So that can be for various reasons. For, for some people, it's credit scores. You know, sometimes people have some young and dumb mistakes. They've, they've done a number on their credit and they're just not quite able to qualify for a mortgage. Sometimes it's someone who maybe they started a new business, recently went self-employed. That can prevent you from being able to get a mortgage as well. Whatever the reason is, they're just not quite able to make that purchase happen just now at the moment. So doing a rent to own, what you're doing essentially is you're, you're blending the two where they're, they are signing a lease to stay there. So they're paying every month, they're putting a portion, they're making a rent payment. But on top of that rent payment, they're also making a, an option payment, right? Another word for rent to own is lease options. Um, that's legally, they're not putting deposits toward the purchase of the house, but they are, they are paying you for the option to buy that house, right? If they should so choose, they have given you extra money that'll be you know, in consideration for that option. And at the end of the term, they'll then be able to purchase the house after you. 
So there's a, a predetermined purchase price when we entered into this arrangement. We talked about what the sale price of the house would be, discussed all the terms. We had a schedule of deposits where they are putting money towards their option each month. If they go forward and they, they close on that and they purchase this house off me, all that option money they've given, that'll be credited to them in the sale. So it will form their down payment. And then of course, if they walk away from it, if they choose not to continue, that option money is non-refundable. So they won't get that back. So okay. that's my understanding of the, of the rent to own strategy. Why would investors want to pick this strategy? So for investors, there's a variety of reasons. For, for myself in this deal in particular, like I said, this was my first deal that I got into. So part of that, I wasn't exactly thinking through an exit strategy, right? The lease option, or sorry, yeah, the, the lease back for the show home, those numbers made really great sense. You know, it was a kind of a half duplex on the north side of Edmonton. We were cash flowing just under $1,000 a month. They paid the property taxes. Life was good, but I didn't put a whole lot of thought into what to do after. So for us, that particular property wouldn't, the numbers wouldn't have really worked as a traditional buy and hold, like to hold it as a rental. Mm -hmm. So part of rent to own the, the attractiveness for an investor, part of it is it does raise your monthly cash flow because now not only are you receiving the, the market rent for that property, but you're also getting that option payment on top, right? So, so your monthly cash flow does then become higher. Another benefit is you can, like I said, lock in that sale price. So depending on market conditions in your area at the time, if it seems like the market is appreciating, if it is rising, that's a good chance as an investor to lock in some appreciation on your property, right? You can predetermine and say, okay, based on the way the market's going, I'm going to sell this to you, but I'm going to inflate that price a little bit and we're going to lock that in. Another thing too, is just on the maintenance side of it, like the day-to-day -day managing of the deal in theory, right? If you have someone in there that is eventually going to be buying the house, they're, they're more likely to treat the home better and take care of it as it was their own. They're more incentivized to do so, right? They're, they're putting money aside every month to buy this house that they're living in. So you should have a little less of the you know, just treating it like a rental kind of stuff going on. So typically like we wrote into our lease that the, the tenant is responsible for all the minor maintenance and things like that. So that's another thing that makes it attractive as an investor as well. It sounds fair. Thank you very much for sharing. I, I know lots of people haven't gone too far into the rent to own options, but it certainly sounds very attractive, especially for newer investors. Yeah. And it, to be honest, it wasn't something that I was aiming to do out of the gate, but one thing in, in my investing journey anyways, is having the knowledge of some of the more creative strategies out there. I've mentioned a couple already, right? Joint venturing, rent to own agreement for sale is another one for myself. I haven't necessarily targeted any of those strategies, but it's nice to have them and kind of understand them because when the opportunity presents itself, like it did in this case, you know, I was had a property that was relatively brand new. It had never been lived in. It wouldn't have cash flowed as a rental. The market, you know, here in Edmonton, there wasn't a lot of price growth over the past five years. So if we were to sell it, you know, with realtor commission and everything, we would have, you know, taken a little bit of a hit there. So that was when I thought, hey, you know what? I am familiar with this other strategy, rent to own. 
what if I implement that strategy and then use that as my exit? So that was kind of how it all came to be. I'm glad to hear it. And getting creative is a fantastic way of not, not getting as many hits as, uh, as you mentioned here. So we'll move over to our first segment here. What's the best deal you've ever done? What was the plan? So, and- yeah. So that also was the best deal I ever did. So I kind of answered that already. Yeah. I, I, and I say that was the best deal mostly because of course, right. In hindsight, everything worked out well for me. It was very, very hands-off investment. The the numbers have worked out great so far. You know, time will tell how the the rent to own portion of it goes, right? If they do decide to exercise the option, as we all know, right, interest rates have risen a lot. That is going to impact the tenant buyer's ability to qualify for that mortgage, right? When we signed this all up last year, the the conditions were different than they are now. So Time will tell how that all plays out, but I, I would say that's been my best deal so far, just in terms of return on investment and also just simplicity and ease of of managing the deal as well. Absolutely. Lots of investors don't actually take into account the amount of time and stress as well as mental capacity that has to go into a deal. And I absolutely love that this one was relatively easy for you. Yeah, absolutely. Out of curiosity, how... How well was it when the builder was actually leasing the property from you? How complicated was that? And would you do it again? It was super hands-off. So like I said, this this was all offered through like an investor-focused brokerage. So they had already kind of pre-negotiated all those things, like the sale price, the, the lease agreement was already set up. This particular builder, like they were great to deal with everything was pleasant. You know, I was able to, it was an operating show home, so I could pop in and see the place whenever I wanted. And I I absolutely would do it again. I think, you know, having a little bit of forethought into an exit strategy, whether you are going to do a rent to own or something of that nature, I think if you have a way that you can exit at the end when they are done using it as a show home, it it can be a great strategy. And I, I really enjoyed it. It sounds fair. I, I hope one of us can pick one of those up again soon. It it's a very interesting idea that I, I haven't heard of before. So no, and it's, yeah, I haven't, I had never heard of it before that was kind of presented to me and I haven't really heard of them since either. It's, it's kind of a unique one. Every time I talk to people about kind of comparing portfolios and just talking different things, it seems to be one that not too many people are are familiar with. So to be quite honest, I don't even know how I would approach getting into the next one. If that's something where, you know, an investor could possibly be proactive and start reaching out to builders and maybe try and make some sort of a relationship there. But it's definitely an interesting strategy. And like I said, it's worked out for me pretty well so far. It sounds good. That that might be the next strategy I pursue. Sounds halfway between commercial and residential. So yeah, totally. Very very interesting. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned during this deal? So during this one, one lesson for sure, like I've touched on a little bit is just knowing your exit strategy, right? Of course, it's tempting to just think that everything is is going to work out and hope for the best. And you know what? Sometimes, I mean, especially in real estate, that's part of the reason that so many of us love real estate is it, it does work out a lot of the times, right? A lot of times the the numbers and the fundamentals are such that you can mess up, you know, a fair amount of different things and still do quite well with it. But things can also go wrong. So I think I probably could have saved myself a lot of stress, just the mental load of trying to figure out what I was going to do with the property 
when I already owned it, you know, it would have been prudent to have maybe a plan A, B, C exit strategy in place before I ever purchased it. That was one definitely. I think too, like just an overarching lesson I'm, I'm learning a lot now too, is kind of what you had said, Jeremy, like the, the mental load and the stress of putting these deals together, right? It's they look great on paper all the time. It seems so simple, but actually doing it, you know, there's a lot of kind of intangible factors that as, as newer investors, right? It's easy to overlook some of those things, romanticize it a bit and kind of gloss over. So th- those are some lessons I've have learned and am currently learning as well. I'm I'm sure life and the rest of your portfolio will always remind you of that as well. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. So we'll switch gears here a little bit. What was the yeah. worst deal you've ever done? Yeah. So worst deal. I, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate. I, I definitely do not have a lot of horror stories just yet. You know, I'm sure given enough time and, and as enough deals pass there, there's going to be something, but so far it's, it's worked out pretty well for me. One scenario that comes to mind. So I've, I've kind of shifted focus over the last few years and I've, I've really been getting a lot into the short-term rental space. So, you know, furnished rentals using sites like Airbnb, VRBO, et cetera. I really, really enjoy that. The first property that I ever picked up to do something like that with was kind of the rental arbitrage strategy, right? So for anyone that doesn't know what that is, that is essentially where as an investor, you profit off of a spread between what you could pay a landlord on a long-term traditional lease. You get permission, you furnish it, you manage it as a short-term rental. Your profit is the spread between you know the revenue you're making versus the rent you're paying the landlord. So I was interested in trying short-term rental and I thought to myself, you know, this is probably a, a fairly low risk, low barrier to entry way to, to test the waters, right? You know, I don't have to buy a property. I don't need financing. I just have to come up with, I think it was like $1,600 or so was the rent. So come up with 1600 bucks for a down payment, spend some money on furnishing, things like that. And off we go. So I had, re- I was renting a condo in Oliver and actually it's kind of funny how the whole thing came to be because what really got me into it is I, I had heard, you know, a, a speaker kind of trainer, someone had offered coaching programs. They were putting on a webinar all about short-term rentals. And I thought, Hey, this is something I'm interested in. I'm going to do this webinar. You know, it was a hundred dollars, something like that weekend webinar type thing. And I'm sure other people listening have this experience too, right? There's just, there's so much information out there. And I know for me, I've done so many books, webinars, podcasts, YouTube, you know, all this stuff. And there's so much information that I just did nothing with. So I, I kind of made a promise to myself. I said, you know what, Wh- whatever is taught this weekend, I, I'm going to make myself, you know, implement some of it. I'm going to try it if it doesn't work, whatever, but I'm going to do it. So I'm going to make, you know, I said, I'm going to call 20 listings of people that have properties. They're probably all going to say, no, tell me to get lost, but at least I can say I tried, you know, at least I got my money's worth. So, you know, I get my listings, I'm looking through Kijiji and stuff, finding properties that, you know, look like they might be attractive or work as a short-term rental. And I dial the number for the first one. This lady picks up and, you know, I say, Hey, my name's Ricky. I do the script just like they, they taught in the webinar. I'm interested in, in renting your property, but for my business, you know, I do furnished executive rentals and I'd like to, to use your property. And she said, 
yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I hadn't really thought that far. Yeah. I was just thinking in my head, of course, she's going to say no. So then I, there we were, but it worked really well as an Airbnb. I learned a ton very quickly. I had it for about a year. So a couple things that happened with that one that do kind of make it, you know, uh, a bad deal is for one, the condo board, right? When the condo board found out that I was doing Airbnb in the building, they didn't like that. So they, they shut it down again, not the end of the world as I was renting the place, right? It was a pretty, pretty easy to just cut it off there. But one other thing that happened is I did have one bad guest and they, they did a bunch of damage really at the end of it. I had the place for about 14 months and I think I was like net positive by like two, $300 maybe by the end of it. But yeah, I was just, this girl booked the place. I had a bad feeling right away on Airbnb. So that's, you know, lesson number one, trust your gut. Sometimes people's profiles just look a little bit shady. Didn't sit well with me. She was in there for two nights. The first night, um, I, I, I don't know, I was in bed. It was like 1130 PM. And I just, in my head, something was off. I just felt weird about it. I got out of bed, drove downtown, drove by the property, you know, took a look outside. I wasn't sure if they're having a party or something. No, everything looked fine. So I thought, okay. And then sure enough, yeah, the, not that night, but the next night she texts me in the morning. Oh, I'm so sorry. This guy I was with, he attacked me last night. I had to leave. He punched a hole in the wall. I don't know if he's still there. He has the keys, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. He, he stole a TV as well on his way out. Yeah. It was interesting because I had, there was an old, older TV out in the main living room, right? Like a an old heavy TV. And then in the bedroom, I had bought a, a new, you know, little 4k kind of 43 inch TV. So he left the new one, but he took the old one. So go figure, I guess, but yeah, it was a bit of a, a runaround too, because Airbnb, you know, they have what they call air cover in theory, right? They do protect hosts from those types of scenarios. What happened with me, the way this one worked out is I called the police when all this happened, of course. So police did basically nothing. Like it was, they did not help at all. But when I told Airbnb that I had contacted the police, right? I thought I was doing my diligence and showing them that I'm, I'm, I'm working to resolve this scenario. They said, okay, well, in order to process your, your request for a reimbursement, we just need to see a copy of the police report. So I thought, okay, fair enough. Went down to the police station, tried to figure out how I can get a police report. Was told, you know, you have to fill out a form. You have to do a request for information that goes downtown to, you know, EPS head office and they'll get you the report. So I fill that out, pay the $60 processing fee or whatever. They did not get me that police report for, I think it was, it was just under four months that it took for them to actually get that back to me. So by that time, yeah, Airbnb had closed their file. I, I reached out multiple times and said, Hey, like, you know, can you work with me? I, I, I can prove that I put in the request the day after you told me you needed it. It never came in. It's not my fault, but I don't know. I escalated it up the chain as far as I could. And everybody told me, nope, sorry, nothing we can do. So that ended up costing all in about, I think, $1,100 or so just to get the wall fixed, new TV, that kind of thing. So yeah, when it was all said and done, I mean, even with those mistakes, I guess, you know, I still did come out slightly ahead. 
but that so far is probably the worst deal, the worst kind of scenario that's that I've experienced in real estate. Would it be better off just to send the claim to, I think it's air cover? Yeah, correct. Through Airbnb. Going forward, yeah, I, I think I would have just been better off to not mention anything about the police or anything and just try and deal directly with Airbnb themselves. That probably would have been the best way to do. And I've, I've talked to other hosts that have more experience than I do. And that's been kind of the consensus too. But I mean, it is, it is a, a risk of the short-term rental business. I'm in a lot of different groups on, on Facebook and places with Airbnb hosts. And it's, it's definitely not a rare occurrence that something happens and, you know, Airbnb doesn't support the host in, in the way that they would have expected to, to be supported. So it does happen for sure. Very good to know. Definitely a good idea to keep in mind when you're building up your cash reserves. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, one of the things that you did mention here is the condo board shut down one of the arbitrage units. Correct. Yes. Why is that? And how is that even possible? Yeah. So quite often, a lot of condo boards are against short-term rentals. And that can be for various reasons, right? This building in particular was... I wouldn't say it was a giant building. I think it had maybe 30, 30 or so units. It was mostly owners that lived there. There wasn't a lot of rentals, right? A lot of people do associate Airbnb and short-term rentals. They associate it with parties, right? They think we don't want strangers coming in and out of our building where we live, right? Different people rotating through, place operating kind of like a hotel. So a lot of people are against it, which, you know, I... I don't blame them, right? Especially if they have a mismanaged property. I'm sure it can cause a lot of headaches for for the owners and residents. So it is it is becoming increasingly common that a lot of condo boards have written in the bylaws that you know occupancy has to be for a minimum of X amount of days, or any tenants have to have a lease, that sort of thing. No short no short term rentals. So that's that's definitely a challenge for operating short term rentals, like in the kind of apartment style unit space. I had asked this owner in this case, you know, I wanted everything to be on the up and up. I didn't, I don't like to be sneaking around and trying to pretend, you know, I'm not doing what I'm doing. I asked her, is, is are they okay with that in this building? And she had told me that they were. She said it was fine. So I don't know if somewhere along the lines that changed or what happened, but what I ended up doing, it, it did work out good because the, they told me that pretty much right when my lease was up. So I extended the lease just for like a month to month. And what I did is I, I took the listing down so that if anybody looked and searched, you know, they couldn't see anything. I already had some stays booked. So I figured, well, you know, I'll, I'll let those guests stay. I'll fulfill that. And so there was a period of a couple months where I would take the listing down uh, when I had someone occupying the unit. And then, you know, maybe a day or two before they were checking out, I would put the listing back up, get another booking, take it back down again. And so, like I said, I don't, I don't like to operate that way just, you know, indefinitely, but just rounding out the last couple months, you know, just to cover my costs, I did that a little bit. And uh, so it ended up working all right. You know, the, the, the damage, the losses were minimal. And like I said, I broke even made maybe a little bit, but not, not a whole lot. <laughs> Fair enough. The other thing you mentioned there, 
you had a bad feeling as soon as she messaged you. This unfortunate tenant here, is there a way that you screen tenants for Airbnb or how does that system work? Yeah. So there's a couple, there's a combination. There, there are some built-in features, right? Airbnb does create new policies to help hosts with the screening process. And then there's also things that you yourself can do. So on kind of the, the automated, the Airbnb side, um, my listings are set up that anyone who wants to do what's called instant booking, where you don't have to request, get approval from the host to book. You can just, you know, like you would with a hotel, you can go through a reservation and you're booked. The only people that can instant book, they need to have their uh, photo ID verified by Airbnb. So they need to have provided government issued ID and they have to have a track record. They have to have a couple five-star reviews from other hosts in order for them to be allowed to book. So people that fall outside of that category, they can still request to book, but then I manually go in and then I make the call whether to allow them or not. And some things I do is I just try and have a bit of a dialogue or a conversation with people, right? Sometimes you get a request. Sometimes people will tell you why they're coming. Oh, we're coming for a wedding or like we're, we're going to watch the Oilers at Rogers or something like that. Sometimes they just don't say anything. So I usually ask, oh, like what brings you to Edmonton? And just kind of use a bit of discernment there, right? If they respond friendly and openly, you know, and of course it's, it's not a, it's not a science by any means, but you do what you can, you, you try and get the best feel. Another thing that I started doing as well that I didn't have on that other property is now all my properties have cameras on the door. So I'm using the ring. They have a, like a peephole version for like apartments. So doing it that way, you know, you do have a little bit more accountability for the guests. They know that there is a camera. You're not watching anything they're doing while they're on the property inside, but you can see who's coming and going, you know, if they're taking something out with them too, you know, you might catch that on camera as well. Again, there, there could be ways around it. It wouldn't be hard for someone to cover it up or, I mean, if they turn the Wi-Fi router off, really, that would, that would kind of put you out of commission as well. But I find that just having a little bit, you know, it goes a long way, right? Of course, you're going to have outliers, but my experience has been 90, 99% of the people that use those platforms are just really nice, you know, respectful people. They treat the place well, they're friendly, they're, they're grateful to have a place to stay. And it really is a, it really is a, a good community between like hosts and, and guests for the most part. I'm glad to hear it. Obviously, everything that people hear about Airbnb is the terrible stuff, the parties, the property damage. But from what I'm what I'm hearing from most of the Airbnb hosts I talk to is that is an extremely rare occurrence. So I'm mm -hmm. very glad, very glad to hear that you echo that sentiment. Yeah, and I think everyone gets into different strategies or you know niches of real estate for different reasons. One thing for me that kind of keeps bringing me back to the short term rental is I have done a lot of travel, you know, previous life, my job required a lot of travel. I was an instrumentation technician and I would go basically to all the different shutdowns at, at different refineries, mostly in Canada, sometimes in the U.S., sometimes abroad, kind of all over the place. So having that experience, you know, living out of hotels for weeks or months on end, it does, it does kind of have a, a, a place in my heart that to provide something to people that's not that because 
I've been there. It's, it's lonely. It's not fun when you're away from your family, you're traveling, you're eating out every day. So that's kind of my motivation to stay in the short-term rental space is, Hey, I have an opportunity to host people, right? That's why it's called a host. You're, you're providing them a place to stay. You get to give them an enjoyable experience, you know, make it as, as friendly and warm as possible. And you get compensated for that. And that, that's why I enjoy it. Absolutely. Helping people feel at home is absolutely phenomenal. I'm glad to hear that's why you're doing it, by the way. Perfect. So we'll shift into, if you're okay with it, a brand new segment that we're rolling out here. Let's do it. What's three things that uh, most people don't know about you? Okay. So three things that most people I would think wouldn't know about me. One off the top of my head, I'm a big fan of metal, like metalcore. That's my jam. I know I don't really look like the like the metal guy, but you know, I do, I do enjoy the, the odd mosh pit from time to time. That's one thing. Two other things. I don't know. One, I guess I was born in Fort Nelson, BC. So small town boy from way, way Northern BC. I don't know. I'm not, not a very interesting person. I don't, I'm a pretty open book. I don't know what else. I love to snowboard. That's, that's something about me. So yeah, we'll go, we'll go with those for my three. <laughs> Sounds fair. I, I'm a little shocked. You don't listen to country music though. No, you know, I, I used to a little bit. I, I worked in a grocery store all through high school growing up and that was all they played was country. So I, I got into it, you know, kind of not by choice and I don't mind it by, by any means, but I, t- I have pretty eclectic music tastes. Actually, actually, that would be a third thing most people don't know about me is I, I do have some, some DJ equipment and, you know, I used to, I used to dabble back in the day. Uh, so my, my musical tastes are, are quite broad, quite all over the place. <laughs> That's very interesting. You and I be, <laughs> might be talking off air about that then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. So we'll head into our last segment here. What advice would you give to new investors who are looking to scale their business in your area? Yeah, my advice, and also to preface it, you know, I'm by no means am I saying this of a place of, you know, I've, I've been through this and I've learned these lessons. When I say advice, I, I'm saying it because I, I do consider myself a new investor and I, these are lessons I'm learning too. So my advice would be to, before you go into something, you know, before you think of the next steps for your business, just to really get clear on what it is you want. And I don't necessarily mean that in the sense of, I want X amount of properties, I want this much money, but also on more of a micro level, like what do you want your days to look like? What kinds of things are important to you? Because I have definitely over the past year hit that point. And I know it's common. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners do find themselves in that situation. But I have really found myself in the situation where I started all this because I wanted more time. I wanted time with my family. I wanted freedom. I wanted flexibility. And what did I do? Well, I you know, I went out and did all these deals and they took all my time, all my flexibility. I was always at the properties. I was scrambling all the time, losing sleep over it, you know, just spread too thin financially, all of those things. And, you know, it it wasn't what I wanted. Right. And I think I'm coming to learn. I think sometimes it can be a lie to ourselves that we say, I'm doing all this now so that someday in the future, I'll have that. When in reality, I think there is kind of a third option, a middle road where 
you can have the success you want materially getting properties, building the business, but you can set that up, you know, now in a way that gives you your time, gives you those things you want. So I would say that's, that's a big lesson I've learned. And that would be my advice is don't, don't fall into that trap that, you know, if you break your back working for something now, you're just magically going to wake up in 10 years and have all this time because more than likely what you're going to have is you'll just build yourself another job, right? You'll create a business where everything in the business hinges on you. You're the only one that can do anything. It all relies on you. You know, I guess it's a step up probably from kind of having a job and working for an employer, but at the same time, it's probably not what most of us want or how we want to live our lives. So be careful of that because it's, you know, like I said, I, I speak from experience. I'm, I don't have the answers. I don't have the, the, the way to avoid it, but I'm, am going through that currently right now, if I'm being honest, where it's just a lot, right? A lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a million different things going on. It's not that fun when you're in that spot. So <laughs> keep that in mind, you know, think of the intangibles, right? if you, for example, having a property, right? It's not just having a property. It's not just the money, right? It's the time you have to spend thinking about it. It's the time managing it. It's just the headspace it occupies, right? It's just another thing on your plate. You have to, you have to always be managing it and thinking about it and those types of things, right? And that, that all needs to be considered before you go ahead and do that. Great advice. Building systems early on and thinking about how you want your life before you get there is absolutely wonderful advice. Thank you very much. I, I can't overstate it enough either. I built myself into that, a similar situation as, as you were mm -hmm. mentioning very early on. So I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's thinking differently, you know, for, for myself, you know, if I could share with anyone, if anyone is going through that, I'm really trying to think more strategically. I'm starting to think about outsourcing different things if I can, eliminating things that don't need to get done at all and just looking for that. So I think, yeah, for myself and my kind of growth and development, that's, I think the next step is not just, because if you have a bad system, if you can't manage your three or four properties that you have, well, if you double or triple the amount of properties you have, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're doubling and tripling the, the stress and all the kind of chaos of your system. So I think for me, you know, I mean, granted that's if, if these good deals don't keep coming my way, because I feel like I tell my wife all the time, no more properties. And then it's like, okay, well, we'll get that one, but <laughs> hey, we, we got another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, if, if I can restrain myself from that, I, I would really love to focus on systematizing what I do have, you know, making something that is scalable where you can add add into that environment and have, have it, you know, kind of work smoothly. It sounds good. Well, just before we get out of here, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah. So anyone can find me on Facebook, Instagram, all those types of places on Facebook. It's just my name. So Ricky Sommerfeld, Instagram's a, a little bit more complicated of a, of a handle, but it's this underscore is underscore. And then like my first initial R S O M. You know, I thought I was being clever, like this is awesome, but you know, I never clued into that before. Oh, well, well, that, and that's, you know, generally speaking, if you have to explain the, explain the joke, then, you know, you probably missed the mark there. So 
<laughs> maybe I'll change that one day. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I do like that though. That is very, very well done. <laughs> Poorly so, executed play on words there. <laughs> I still enjoy it. But yeah, we got to get out of here though. So Ricky, thank you very much. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Okay.